Hello and welcome. This is Hear Her Sports, the podcast for everyone who loves stories by and about women striving to improve in and outside of sport. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Since the very first episode eight years ago, I've talked to female athletes from a range of sports, ages, abilities, and goals. Obviously, you are already here listening, but check out the full list of guests with all of the show notes and images on hearhersports.com. After a bunch of World Cup cross-country ski race reports, it is fun to be back to a full episode, although we aren't straying far from skiing. Today, I am talking to Alaskan adventurer, cross-country skier, and wildlife biologist Kristen Roselle. Kristen moved to Fairbanks, Alaska in 1997. We talk about how that all went down, because Alaska was never on her radar until she found herself unexpectedly with a job in Denali National Park. Now, Kristen works for a private consulting firm as a wildlife biologist, conducting nesting studies on geese and sea ducks on the north slope of Alaska. She's also worked all over the state, conducting breeding bird and migration surveys. Kristen has been a cross-country ski coach since 2004. She coaches a high school team, has led for 15 years a training program for adults, preparing for 50-kilometer skate ski races. And she teaches group and private lessons through the Fairbanks Nordic Ski Club. Kristen is also a strong and active competitor herself. Over the years, she has raced in five 100-mile ski races, many local ski races from sprints to 50 kilometers. And as you will hear in our conversation, she has done many multi-day backpack ski trips. In the show notes, I've listed some details of many of those. Kristen is also a stellar runner and has completed the Equinox Marathon almost 20 times, placing second two times. I love Alaska. It is such an incredible, dramatic, wild place. It was captivating to talk about that with Kristen and hear more details about traveling in the wilderness there. We get into a few big adventures, complete with bears. Wait till you hear the story. I think I was in shock because I noticed while editing that I had barely reacted to how extreme the whole scenario was. I like the idea of sharing an episode of adventurers like this one with Kristen because traveling, going big and bold is totally doable. Growing up, I know I had never imagined that someone like me could actually do things like this. Nor had Kristen. She was prepared though, mostly anyway, but she also just did things, which she explains when we talked. I also love this episode because she shows incredible persistence. This episode is also just great for those who like adventure stories, regardless of any plans to make it to Alaska. Well, let's meet Kristen and hear those adventures. Hello, Kristen. Thank you for being here. And uh, as we just talked about, we're both coffee this morning, so it's going to be exciting. <laughs> yes. Um. You know, I've been to Alaska. I, that's how we connected. We connected through a common friend. And the first time I visited Alaska, I was so struck by how many adventurous, absolutely super cool women I met. And, you know, in many ways, that trip started Hear Her Sports, because I sort of got into the mode of thinking about these really adventurous women. And clearly, you found something you liked when you first came to Fairbanks for grad school, which was in 1997. Do you remember what that experience of discovering the state was like, which, you know, at this point is almost 30 years ago? I do remember it. And actually, even before coming to Fairbanks and 
um, and, and discovering what I love so much about Fairbanks. I first came here in 91 when I was an under, I was an undergrad at the University of Colorado. And we had this camp day where there were a lot of representatives from, from different summer camps that came. And there happened to be um, several people from concessionaires, like um, from Denali National Park and from Yellowstone and a few others. And my um, roommate at the time at University of Colorado was really interested in applying for a job in Alaska because her brother had just been up here and, and she just worshiped her brother and she thought it sounded amazing. And she convinced me to, to go to an interview for this concessionaire for Denali national park. And I had never thought about going to Alaska before. And I was like, sure. And so I'd applied to be a, a tennis instructor at several different camps. And then I went to this other interview uh, to work in Denali and we both ended up getting the job in Denali, um, actually at a, at a pizza restaurant. I ended up taking that. I can't remember what happened with the tennis jobs, but anyway, we, we both ended up coming up to Alaska and, um, Denali national park was just an amazing place to be. I, you know, I was 20, 20 actually. So I was one of the, uh, my friend and I were some of the younger people working for this, this company. You know, we weren't really supposed to be at the bars. We could, we would get kicked out and that's where a lot of the other employees were hanging out at night. But we went backpacking every single weekend. We would get off our shift. We would hop on a bus, get taken out in the wilderness and we would spend the entire weekend. And then we would hop back on a bus and come back and just roll into work. And um, I just met so many amazing people and um, just learned about all these different lifestyles. Like not everybody goes to college and, uh, you know, some people just work these seasonal jobs and, and then just explore the country and travel, you know, to Antarctica in the, in the wintertime. So um, that was where I, where I really fell in love with Alaska and also um, just met really amazing people. So you were adventurous before you got to Alaska, though, because you knew how to hike. Um, you know, kind of, I guess. I don't know if I really did, actually. I just sort of jumped in. My parents weren't really outdoorsy. I mean, they were a little bit like they um, I mean, my my parents got me into downhill skiing and my dad was really into tennis. And, you know, I did a little hiking with friends in high school. And then when I went to University of Colorado, I got more into hiking there and, and running. And well, my girlfriend, um, she was pretty game for just trying to, to get out. And then we'd meet other people and all of us would, you know, we'd do these trips with several people and camp out. And honestly, that was like my first real experiences. So kind of extreme actually for, you know, this is a place where, you know, it was really remote. You weren't supposed to be seen from the road. Like you really had to get out there. But that was my first, my first real backpacking. And I was seeing bears and um, wolves. I had a close encounter with a wolf that first summer that just walked right up to me. And <laughs> it was, uh, wow. it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Did you have any sort of like, I don't know, close calls, close encounters, bad experiences during that time? Um, not during, not during that time, actually. Yeah. All my experiences were, were really very positive. You know, that summer I, I learned to be very comfortable, um, like, you know, seeing these bears, you know, they'd be 
right across the river from us. And before you'd go out in the backcountry, you'd get a backcountry permit at the visitor center and they would always run you through, you know, what you do if you, you know, if you see a bear, if it comes this close to you, this is what you do. And, um, you know, and for the most part, they just minded their own business. So um, there wasn't anything, you know, I, yeah, it, that they seemed to follow what they told us and, and no, nothing bad happened. Um, later on, um, when I was a biologist and doing some work in um, uh, Wrangell St. Elias National Park. From it was actually the first year of my master's. I had a, a run in with a bear that was um, pretty terrifying. Tell us that about that. Um, well, it was early in the season, and we had just started. So um, I was working for USGS out of Anchorage. I just moved from Juneau to. Um, well, I was moving up to Fairbanks, but I had first moved to um, Wrangell St. Elias National Park to start a master's program my, or my field work for a, a project. I think this was May, um, late May, and we had just set up plots where we were going to be working and we were doing a combination of nest searching and breeding bird surveys in um, spruce bark beetle disturbed forest site. So we had a lot of different sites we would visit around the park and then outside in, in different areas. So uh, we would work in pairs, but we would split up. And so we would usually um, do two different things. One person would nest search while the other person would, would do a, a bird survey. So with this one morning I was nest searching and and uh, on the other side of this plot where I was working was my, my coworker. And so I heard, um, it was about seven o'clock in the morning and I heard, I heard a car horn honking down, like way down on the road. And I was, I was like, I wonder what that is. And I'm like, I wonder if that's our vehicle. I was up on a, on a hillside. So I tried to see, I had my binoculars, tried to see if I could see the road, couldn't see anything. And then I hear the um, bushes rustle and right then I, 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 I go, Hey bear, Hey bear. I see this head pop up and this bear just runs right at me. And I pulled out my pepper spray and sprayed it for several seconds. And then it just hauled up on its back legs. And then it just <sighs> like <laughs> bat me down to the ground and was, and pinned me to the, to the ground by my head. And then it, so actually, when I worked in Denali at um, my second summer there, I was I was actually doing demonstrations where I would tell people all the things to do if you <laughs> when you run into a bear, you know, at different distances. And and so the one thing that was never discussed was like, if you pepper spray a bear, what do you do? I mean, you assume that you pepper spray the bear and then it, it goes away. And that's not what happened. Um, I do think it it eventually worked. But um, it, it took a little bit. So I think it had enough momentum coming at me <laughs> that it managed to get me down and it it, it kind of, um, you know, bit me and, and pushed me around a little bit. But then I was able to um, crawl and walk out <laughs> and Yikes. didn't see it again. I know it was super, super lucky. Yeah. I'll very, see. very scary. I mean, did you change your behavior or anything after that? Oh yeah. I mean, I was, um, I was terrified. You know, I really was comfortable in, in the woods by myself. I loved it. I loved, um, doing this bird work where you're just following, um, you know, following birds, listening, like you're following them and you're finding their nests by their sounds and behaviors. And it's, you're really 
keyed into the environment. And it was just, it was so peaceful. And I just, I loved it. But after that experience, it was, you know, it, it was scary to be quiet. You know, I wanted to be loud when I was moving around. And well, and actually before that, I should back up. Uh, I spent about a month healing. I had stitches and, um, and then just mentally trying to decide what I was going to do. And, and, um, you know, I realized like, this is my master's. Am I going to be able to go back? Am I, am I going to be able to stay in Alaska? Am I ever going to be comfortable in the woods again? Am I, you know, am I cut out for this? And I kind of had to go through all this and then come around and decide I'm not going to be controlled by this fear. I'm not going to let it, you know, change everything I love. And, um, I'm just going to have to figure it out. And it, and it took time and it still, it still creeps up, especially camping. I, I don't sleep well, like my first night in a tent and I usually get more comfortable. I'm definitely a lot more aware of my surroundings and I do a lot of shotgun. I do shotgun training every year, which we're required to do, but you know, I, I, a lot of times I'm, I would like to carry a gun and, um, just have that. But I also, I still feel very comfortable using um, pepper spray. I still, I don't really want to, I, I don't want to kill a bear and I'm glad I, that bear, you know, did its bear thing and, you know, we both walked away. So, um, I, yeah, it's, I've definitely changed from it though, but I'm, but I'm, I'm okay. And I'm, you know, back out there. So <laughs> yeah, that's sort of a good story because one of the things I talked about these women that I met when I was in Alaska and I mean, sort of a corollary of that is just realizing how rugged it is out there. I mean, I've done hiking and camping and stuff, but none of it compared to what I saw in Alaska, just how remote everything is. Right. Yeah, it is. And and that's what, um, you know, I realized about Denali when I first was there was, you know, this was a park where once you get past the entrance, there are no concessions there. Well, there's maybe a couple of lodges out there, but like where I was going out, there's nothing. I mean, you didn't, you didn't see anybody. You didn't see anything. And, you know, it was, it was, you were, you were really out there. And, and that was my first, you know, real hiking camping experiences. And so it wasn't until later when I'd go to other parks and I would realize like, oh, this Denali was really, really different. And, and that's, you know, that's a national park. I mean, then you go to other places in Alaska that aren't parks and, you know, rivers and, um, you know, other trips we do where, yeah, there's, there's really nobody. You're just having to um, rely on yourself and try to make a decisions. So we kind of skipped a lot of time. So you were there for this trip to work in Denali, and then you decided to go to grad school there. I'm assuming something happened in this camping trip that made you decide to go to grad school. Yeah. So um, when I was at the University of Colorado, I um, I was a biology major and I was actually um, looking at pre-med. Um, when I went to Denali, I, you know, I was doing all this backpacking and I actually, I met a guy that I started dating um, later, but um, he was a, a guy that I was doing a lot of trips with. And he was this incredible naturalist. He knew all the birds, he knew the animal tracks, and he was just so knowledgeable about about everything. And also, I you know, I learned a lot about um, backpacking from him and, um, you know, how to dress and a lot of different sort of 
wilderness skills, but it, it kind of changed my focus with biology. I decided that maybe wildlife biology was um, something, a direction I would like to, to look at. And so I, you know, kind of after that summer, I, I, I switched gears a bit. I had the same major, but I um, started taking more wildlife classes. And then like a couple summers after that, I did my first field biology, like found a, a field biology opportunity in Hawaii and, and then did another one in Alaska. And yeah, then was just pretty much hooked after that. And are you thinking of yourself at this point as, I don't know, a, a rugged adventurous, an athlete, or like, how did you think of yourself in, in sort of the wilderness sense? <laughs> um, gosh, you know, not really. I, no, I just, I was just pursuing what what I enjoyed and what, you know, what, what made me happy. And, um, and I was just trying to learn everything I could about doing these, these trips and, you know, about the gear and learning about wildlife and, and then, and then just trying to um, figure out what I needed to do to, how would I make this into a, a career? And, you know, I was just like looking into volunteer opportunities at, at, the university and, and then, you know, found this, it was called student conservation association, which is where, you know, I took a semester off and managed to get this opportunity in Hawaii working with, um, endangered birds. And, um, and that was amazing. I was in Denali at the time. I was, it was my second summer and I was working as a waitress. So I had taken the semester off and I was, you know, trying to get this, trying to get something lined up for the, for the fall. So I had already taken time off school. And I was hearing back from Hawaii. That was one of the places I had chosen. And they were kind of dragging their feet on me. And, and it sounded like it wasn't you know, going to work out. And I wasn't really sure why. But I kept checking back. And I was just, I'm really interested. I really would like this opportunity. And, and um, you know, I had no experience. I had nothing to, to base it on. But I was just kind of getting desperate. And, and I just really wanted them to give me a shot. And, and finally, they did. And so I went right from Alaska to Hawaii. And that was my, my first field job. And I, I found out later that the reason they didn't want to hire me was because they had a crew of, of, um, I was 21 at the time and they'd had a crew of, of like 24, 25 year olds and they were big partiers and they, they turned out to not be very good volunteers. And so they decided (laughs) they wanted to go older so they were really holding off on, on like, you know, they had, they had a couple that were 29 and, and so they just, they needed a fourth and, and finally they just gave in to me. And so when I got there, I just was like, really decided I was going to prove myself. But the other thing that happened was of the four of us there, we were doing a lot of hiking. We had chickens and canaries that we were, had staged out in the forest, like six miles, you know, hike out into the forest. And they were trying to see if they would get avian flu or malaria. And so we would hike out and we would take, we would take blood samples from the birds. We'd clean their cages and, you know, sometimes we'd hike them out, hike them back. Um, We collected mosquitoes and there was this um, malaria outbreak on the island at the time. And so, so we were doing a lot of hiking and two of our crew got injured and they couldn't do any of the hikes. And so, um, this other guy and myself ended up doing all this hiking. And so I got in the most amazing shape of my life because um, I was hiking about 50 miles a week doing all these hikes for 
uh, volunteers take care of birds. <laughs> so then I was starting to feel like I was becoming a pretty good outdoors person. Actually, the other thing I learned through that experience was that I was pretty good at like troubleshooting problems. Like I could kind of, I could jerry rig things really well. And um, I came up with different systems for, uh, I don't even remember exactly, like with cages and, and carrying, you know, animals out in the field. I mean, it, there, there were just different things that, that you kind of had to figure out on the fly. And I seem to be pretty good at that. <laughs> and, and I think that that was appreciated with my, my employer. And you didn't party too much. No, I, in fact, we didn't party at all. <laughs> and I probably had the most sleep of my life because it got super dark there at, you know, six, the sun goes down. It is just pitch black. We were living in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park is just pitch black. And it was cold because it has a little higher elevation. And we had this really drafty house that we stayed in. And so I was, you know, I was going to bed at like 7.30. Like there's just really not a lot to do. And we were pretty tired from all the work we did in the day. So, so I go to sleep at yeah, like 7, 7.30. And then, um, and, and I felt amazing. I never had so much sleep in my life. I was a, kind of a night person. So I would stay up really late and I would live on like six hours of sleep <laughs> for years and years. And that was the first time I was like, oh, hey, sleep's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> And and so what's what's Fairbanks for you now? What's it like now? Oh, what's it like now? Um, well, it's um, I so I I'm married. I have a seventeen year old, and you know I work as a as a wildlife biologist. I coach high school skiing, and you know still do I do trips. Um, with my family in Alaska and outside Alaska. And I mean, all, all the things I got into here, I, I still enjoy. I, I, I do a lot of running. I, I do a lot of skiing and, um, yeah, I just, I, I always find this place to have endless opportunities and, and things to explore. Do you, do you train or like we talked earlier offline about how, you've incorporated skiing and being physically active with your work into your life, but do you also, I don't know, do intervals or that kind of stuff or, or just go out and do your thing? I do. I, well, so what I've been doing the last, uh, I'd say three or four years, um, pretty religiously is I do strength training. I've really found that to be super important at this age. We we started a was it Fairbanks Master Ski program that in like 2020, and um, you know we decided that we wanted to, a program that was that well we have so we have this um, this program for kids basically that's like full training for you know kids that want to be more competitive skiers. So that program had been going on for 10 years or so, and so we decided that masters wanted the same thing and you know something that that where we did there was strength training there was intervals and distance skis and um you know sort of everything in between for training and and so through that I do this strength training class and you know I take it with this um 
this woman, uh, Christina Terman, who is this, she was an amazing, I, I knew her as a high schooler. She was a high school athlete, a college athlete, a very competitive runner and skier. And uh, now she runs this program. And so I take her strength training class. It's a women's class. And then um, for years and years, I was doing intervals. I, I was in a women's running group in the summertime. And then I was doing intervals through with the same person, actually, skiing. And now um, with coaching, sometimes I, I do intervals with the high schoolers. Sometimes I do them on my own. Sometimes I don't get them in. But I, I do really like to try to get intervals in at least once a week if I can. Because I, 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 I really think it makes a difference. And then I also try to do um, longer distances on the weekends. So my training, it's not really, it's not really focused right now because I'm not, there's not anything in particular that I'm, that I'm training for, but I do still like to do races and I'm also teaching people um, that are prepping for races. So I feel like I need to stay in shape too. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want them to drop you if they're, if you're out there with them. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned strength training was important for women of our age. And we talk about that a lot on, on this podcast about how important strength training is for everybody, but particular for older women. Like what have you found has been helpful or why has it been helpful? Do you think, or in what way, I guess? Um, I, you know, I guess, um, one thing. So, so I was a runner before I was a skier and after I had my daughter, several several years later actually when i was pregnant with her i was i was getting these these pelvic pains that were incre- like when i would i would you know go for these walks or you know or or yeah like I, I would go for kind of intense walks when i was pregnant and i would get these really intense pains in my pelvis after i had her that pain continued and sometimes it would get so bad that i you know i would just I mean, it was just like, it was just really acute pain and, um, I could never really figure out what, what was wrong, but it would just, it, it would just drop me. It was, it was just the shooting pain. And, um, eventually I found out that I have movement in my pubic symphysis that I shouldn't have. So running became not as much fun for me because like, say if I was running downhill, that impact would eventually seem to like move things around in my pelvis enough where I would start getting that real, that pain. And I guess a lot of inflammation down there. So with that, I was, I was given these exercises to do, to do core work and that seemed to help a little bit, but then, um, then I just, I just kind of backed off running because I couldn't really figure out how to, to, to fix it to where I could run the distances I used to run. And, um, so then I switched to skiing. Skiing was did not seem to to aggravate this at all. So skiing became much more enjoyable. But then when I was doing the strength training, I found that um, all the core work that I was doing seemed to be helping with this pelvis problem. Like I just wasn't having those pains anymore. And even so, like every now and then, I would just get a, a shooting pain out of nowhere. And I don't seem to be get. I don't seem to get those anymore either. So I think that's one thing that I've, I've really noticed, but in general, I just feel a lot more, um, like just, I guess just generally stronger and especially like the, the core work has been really amazing with, with my skiing, just feeling a lot more solid when I'm on one ski, like for skate skiing and, 
you know, much better balance and with classic skiing when, when I'm striding or much more, um, push when I double pole. So yeah, there's, there's been a lot. I sure hope you are enjoying this episode with Alaskan Kristen Roselle. If you are, please consider supporting the show with a cup of wonderful coffee. These days I'm making pour overs at home using coffee from a local roaster. All cups of coffee go to editing and producing this podcast and therefore increase the amount of media coverage for female athletes and women in sport. A recent study found a rise in sports media coverage for women, but that rise in coverage came primarily from smaller enterprises like this one. To make a donation, go to buymeacoffee.com slash hearher or to the support tab on hearhersports.com. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. And now let's return to Alaskan Kristen Roselle and find out more about her adventures, including normal adventures like skiing to work. I want to talk about adventures, but before we do that, you mentioned that you ski to work and you make skiing like right out your door a a big activity for you. Like for me, that's hard to imagine. Like here in Cleveland, we do not get the kind of snow where you can ski out your door. So it would be really cool to hear hear how you're skiing to work. Okay. Yeah. Well, if there's one thing that I I just thought was amazing about Fairbanks or Alaska is that there are these trails just everywhere. And I mean, almost no matter where you live, you can pretty quickly access or pretty easily access some trails. But I I happen to live um, right like north of the University of Alaska, and they have groomed trails in their backyard. And so they're actually my backyard because I live right on that, the northern border of the university. So we have groom trails. We have about like 25 kilometers of groom trails. And then we have, um, we have dog trails also sort of in between those. I can just ski out my back door, get on these groom trails, you know, ski about a mile and a half, cross one road, and then hook up onto what's part of the marathon trail. 
and, you know, cross another road, get into a field. People groom this field for skiing. Then I head out into a valley and there's, you know, dog mushers and all sorts of people that have made trails between, you know, my, well, in the, I guess in this valley that heads to my work. So, you know, I have a few roads to cross, but otherwise I can ski about six miles to work and it makes my day that I can do that. Like I have the best days that when I can ski to work. And before that, I had another job in a, it was also six miles away in another direction that I could also ski to. And at that time it was a a dog friendly workplace and I could, I would bring my dog. And so we would, um, ski to work different direction and, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. (laughs) And is the skiing something that, you know, like a beginner can do or is all of, are all of the trails and the system of trails only for sort of more advanced skiers? No, I, no. I mean, Fairbanks is pretty, pretty flat. Like we have a, this Goldstream Valley, which is a, a big area of skiing and those trails are mostly flat. You know, there's lakes, there's creeks, there's, but I mean, all levels could ski that. My commute to work, aside from a couple small hills, I mean, you could easily take your skis off if you needed to, but it's not a, you know, technical ski or anything. No, it's it's like a great commute. And actually the other direction, there's this area called, well, it's the, the dog mushing trails. And those are also in a big flat area. This just, um, you know, miles and miles of, groom trails where they, they host a lot of sled dog races and ski jar races. And, um, but yeah, all that's pretty flat. So yeah, a lot, there's a lot of, um, lowlands here, rivers, you know, that, that would, that are accessible to everybody. That's cool. Well, let's talk about some adventures. Do you have a favorite in your long history of adventuring? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite. Well, I can ask you to get your mind going. Sarah, our mutual friend, asked me to ask you about a windy adventure she and you did. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, so the trip that I that I invited her on. Um, yeah, so so one thing that um, I I do a lot of when my when my husband and I first got together. He was into doing longer ski stuff. I'd actually just started getting into skiing, and um, I had done some. I had done some longer skis. I really loved like being out, on, you know, on skis, and so. And he was like pulling me into some longer stuff than I'd ever done. But you know, I remember he rented a cabin out. So we have this area called the White Mountains, which is about uh, twenty, almost thirty miles north of Fairbanks. And it's this huge trail system. There's about, I don't know, 15 cabins and they're all about 10 miles apart. And you can do a hundred mile loop and, and, you know, and hit these cabins. And so my husband and I used to, we just did, you know, tons and tons of trips out there. Like on weekends, we just ski out to these cabins and spend a night or two nights or, you know, or spend a spring break and, you know, go several nights. So Sarah has been in a lot of my ski classes and she's like one of my favorite people and she's done lots of trips, but I think she'd only been to some of the cabins um, in the white mountains that are closer to the road. 
and I, and I'm always telling people like, it's, you have to get like 30 miles from the road. And then the scenery out in this area is, is so different. It's just, it's so stunning, but you really have to get out there, which is hard. Cause that means you have to be, you know, if it's all human powered, which are all the trips I do, you know, it takes a while to get out there or you're just doing an incredibly long day, but you know, usually have to reserve cabins that are further out. So Sarah and another friend of mine, um, Elizabeth, who also, she'd actually never done any trips in the White Mountains. I decided I needed to get both of them out there and do a trip in the spring. And so I got in cabins in, in April. And, you know, that's usually just a beautiful time of year here where you have lots of daylight and the skiing's amazing. Like it's, it's fast and it's, you know, like maybe you're wearing shorts and, you know, you're having to travel in the morning because it's, you know, it's getting kind of slushy in the afternoon. This is what, this was what I was envisioning for our spring trip. Anyway, so we get out there and we, we ski. The first cabin is about um, 15 miles out. And so we, we get going on the first part of the trip and it's, you know, good conditions and about, I think like mile 12 or 13, you get up on this high ridge and this there's, it's just a blowhole once you get past this certain area, almost always. And sure enough, we get up to the top of this ridge and it just, the wind is just howling. So we end up just, you know, going right into this headwind for a couple miles and, and then getting to this cabin where we're, where we're spending the night. Um, so the next day we have a cabin that's about 17 miles away and it's downhill and, you know, we wake up and the wind is just, it hasn't died down at all. It's probably 40 mile an hour winds and it's just, you know, just screaming. And so we get out and we have this long downhill and, um, you know, I'm taking the, I'm with two people who, who hadn't been out there before and, you know, it's just, it's just these crazy conditions. But anyway, we, we just head out. Everybody's in good spirits about it. So we head down and, and as we're getting closer to the bottom, you could see that there's just, there's a, I mean, not, it's windy where we are, but as you look down lower, you can see that there's, I mean, it's just this ground blizzard. You can't see the ground. It's just this like foaming wind and snow. And I'm thinking, oh no, we're going down into that. And then we have a you know, like five miles in like open, just, you know, windy open area. And, and as we're going down, we had two snow machiners that are heading back and they basically warned us. They're like, you don't want to go forward. It's (laughs) really miserable. (laughs) And we're like, okay. (laughs) And then we just, we just ignored them and kept going. And then finally at one point, um, Sarah was, uh, Sarah was a little ahead of me and, and I, yeah, I was probably like 10 meters away and I could barely see her, but the wind was just, was ripping so hard. I was, I was not even, I mean, I were pointed downhill and I'm not even moving. Like I'm just, it's just holding me in place. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know if this is, this is a good idea. Cause it was so bad that you couldn't even, you couldn't stop and like eat anything or drink oh, it. Yeah. Without, yeah, without just getting so cold and, you know, it just, or, or like, I mean, like I, I, you try to take off your glove, your glove would fly away. I mean, you just, it was just stressful. And so I don't know, part of, I, I just thought, you know, I just, I don't want to get us in a bad situation that where, you know, nobody wants to go back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So we decided to head back. 
to the cabin where, where we were and, and, you know, just see if anybody was there and either call off the trip and head out or, um, yeah, I don't know. We were, but we were just going to head back to the cabin and like try to eat something, drink something and figure out what we were going to do. And then we, we did get back and there were people that were, had already moved into the cabin where we were, but they were nice enough to let us get something to eat. And then, but then they ended up um, giving us the cabin. <laughs> <They Don't. left. laughs> yeah, it was, just, it was really fun. It was, it was the guys that passed us on the snow machine and they didn't want us to end our trip. They felt bad. And so besides that day where we were heading to a cabin um, 17 miles away, we had another cabin that we could go to the following day if the conditions were okay. And, and so they were like, you know, we've been out here for five or six days or whatever. They're kind of ready to go. They were on snow machines. They were like, you know, we just, we just we're going to leave you the cabin if you want to stay. And I'm like, oh my God. That's so nice. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. incredible. Well, did that trip work out well? Did you make it to the other cabin? We did. We did. Oh, good. Oh, good. The wind was still going. Not quite as bad that that last day. Yeah, definitely not as bad. But, you know, it was like these spring trips here, like they've been like insanely windy. Like where April used to be such a such a gentle month. Like it seems like it's, they've just gotten windier. And I mean, they're still, it's still beautiful. Like it was a beautiful, all the days we were there, they were just beautiful blue, blue, blue sky days, but just the wind was so intense that, you know, it just made it a totally different trip. Are you seeing a lot of changes? I mean, because you've been a field biologist for so long and get out to the field all the time, are you seeing big changes since you got to Fairbanks? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, like one thing right now everybody's commenting on is um, it's been, you know, it's been 10 to 20 degrees in the, in the afternoons, like every day here in November. And I mean, this is usually a month where you're, you know, you're seeing negative 10, negative 20. Oh, wow. You know, it's a cold, dark month and it's just been pleasant. You know, it's been easy. I mean, I was standing out talking to a friend without a hat yesterday for like half an hour. <laughs> like, this is not. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's you're you're smelling the woods, you're hearing birds like it's just seems like it's it feels like spring. It's it's just so much warmer than than November would normally be. Mm hmm. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is lots of, um, holes opening up in the ground. Like, yeah, on campus where like lots of places where we ski and walk, these big pits are just opening up for melting permafrost. Wait, 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 wait. You got to explain that a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so Fairbanks has discontinuous permafrost, which means you have ice under the ground and it's, it's real variable, um, like where it is and how thick it is. But there's a lot of areas that have like these like big masses of ice under the ground. You know, our winters were, were so cold that ice would just remain. So you, you always would have this active layer, um, at the surface that would freeze and thaw every, every year. But now it's melting deeper and deeper. And once it starts melting at a certain point, it, it just increases really rapidly with it, these temperatures that we have now. And so 
Now, yeah. So now these, like you have these ice lenses that are just, they're just melting and they're, they're creating these big pits where like, um, let me see, like the size of, uh, I don't know, like say 20 feet by 10 feet across. Oh, and, you're kidding. And wow. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, they're, they're variable, but yeah, like they're just these, these big holes and, you know, trees falling into them. And I mean, people have found moose that have gotten oh. them can't get out and yeah. Wow. And do you have anything planned big adventures this year? You know, I don't, I actually don't have anything. I don't really have anything planned right now. Like most years, there's usually something I've like some trail or some, something I, I really want to check out, you know, I haven't done yet and, or a race. And, and this year I don't have anything specifically lined up. There's still some like traverses I would like to do. Like the last several years, I've done some, some like multi-day ski trips with, with friends. So like one, we went to, we went from Fairbanks to um, Manly Hot Springs, which was a several day trip with a backpack. And we're just hooking up trails and we were able to like, you know, figure out a route and then, and then try to connect with people that could tell us if there were some like cabins that maybe we could use along the way or places to camp. And yeah, so we've done some, some like longer trips like that. We did like one on the, on the Seward Peninsula of Alaska, like between two villages. Oh, that's cool. Oh, actually that, that was, I guess when you asked um, what was one of my favorite adventures, that was probably one of them because um, we flew into um, a village Kotzebue, which is, you know, um, kind of a bigger village on the coast of, of Alaska. And then we took a smaller plane to a, a smaller village called Buckland and then we um, we skied about f- I think our first day we skied like forty two miles. It was it was a tough one to a cabin, and you know got like just rolled in super late at night, just really dead. Spent the night in the cabin, and then the next day skied out. Uh, it was probably like thirty some miles to a remote hot springs. There was just this battered shack that we were able to stay in for a couple nights, this really cool hot springs. And then we skied two more days um, to the village of Koyuk and then flew out, flew from there to Nome and then flew from Nome back home. (laughs) But, you know, like trip like that was, was pretty amazing. Just the views that we saw and, you know, this, this hot springs in the absolute middle of nowhere and then, you know, we saw muskox, you know, out in the wild. And, you know, and then we ran into a lot of um, people from the different villages that were also going to this hot springs. That was a pretty, yeah, those are pretty fun trips. Yeah, that, that does sound fun. But anyway, so I'd, I'd like to line up another trip like that, but I don't have anything quite yet planned. Doesn't mean yeah. it's not going to happen, though. <laughs> So you seem like you're super active. Your job is super active. You do these, you know, like really adventurous trips. Did you have any idea that that was where you would end up? Uh, no, no, not at all. Yeah. If, if you ask my sister, <laughs> she, she would say, um, th- I mean, she remembers me being like a high schooler 
that was like really into clothes. And, you know, I wanted a job where I would dress really nicely and, you know, maybe live in a big city or something. (laughs) So no, it wasn't, wasn't from my upbringing or, or anything. I mean, when I, as a kid, I was, I was really, really athletic, but I just, I never got really good at anything, but I wanted to try everything. Like I was an ice skater for a while and I, I downhill skied. I, I played tennis. I played basketball. I played softball. I played soccer. Um, yeah, lots of team sports. I was actually a runner just to stay in shape for other things, but I didn't even really think about like being a runner in, in high school. I didn't, I wasn't on the running team or anything. So no, I feel like I just kind of followed things I was interested in and, and just, I just tried things. I just tried things until I found what I loved and then stuck with it. Do you think that you're, I mean, special is not the right word, but you know, like gifted, you said you were athletic. I guess the question is, could anybody end up where you are? I think so. I mean, I think if somebody wants to do something and if they, I mean, if they, if they really love something and if they just do it, I think anybody can, can do it. Yeah. I mean, I really like technique. Like when I was a downhill skier, I I didn't really care about necessarily how fast I was going down something, but I really wanted to, to do it well. And I'm like that as a skier. I, I want to learn all the little subtleties about how to do it, how to do it right. I'm really into that. And I really like to teach that. But I just been following what I'm passionate about. And, you know, and then because I put in that time, I've, I've gotten good at things. But I, I think anybody who wants to, you know, to, to do these things can do them. And that's what I feel like my role is as a, as a ski coach and a ski instructor is I, I just want people to see, like, I feel like we have these, this amazing opportunity in Fairbanks and, and it's such a great way to enjoy living here. It's a hard place to live. And a lot of people hate winter, but, you know, if you can get outside and if you can embrace this winter activity that we have and see a little bit of daylight and experience the cold, then I think I think you can really love this place. Like it's, it's really magical. Nice. It's always fun for me to hear about Alaska because I mean, like you said, it never occurred to you to come out there before you did. And the same with me. And I don't know. I just think sometimes, I don't know, it, it opened up my mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely opened up my mind. I realized how sheltered I was before I, before I took that job in, in Denali, you know, I thought every kid goes to high school and then you go to college and, you know, (laughs) you just kind of do things in a certain way. And, you know, and then you, you have your job and, and, um, all the people that I met, I met such a diverse group of people in that job that were, you know, people that were just following their bliss. And I mean, there are, there are college students as well, but, um, just, yeah, all kinds of people, all different ages. And it was just, it was so inspiring. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's an incredible place up here, for sure. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Kristen Rizal, for being on the show all the way from Alaska with a sick kid even, which you might have heard in the background. 
If you are new to Hear Her Sports, welcome. There are so many former guests to discover, like fellow Alaskans Rosie Brennan, Lisa Keller, and Kristen's friend mentioned in the episode, ski juror Sarah Tabbert. Or look for episodes about other adventurers, climber Rebecca Ross, runner Christy Peoples, and cyclotourist Nam. Thank you for listening. I'm so appreciative you have spent your time with us today. On our website, there are easy ways to reach me, sign up for the newsletter, listen to all of the episodes, browse through show notes, and support the show through Bookshop and Buy Me a Coffee. Go to hearhersports.com. Be sure to tell everybody you know about what you heard today. I am sure there is someone you know who loves adventures. Text them right now about Kristen's ski travels and bear scare. Hear Her Sports is a proud member of Evergreen Podcast. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. I just love sharing stories told by female athletes. I am super glad you are here and hope you got something from the episode to motivate your training. Thank you for listening and for being part of the growth of women's sports. Until next time, bye-bye. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.